Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? From the Gospel of Luke, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Joe. Well, if you've never heard this story before, if you've never seen this part of Scripture, hopefully you've got some questions. I mean, we just jump right in and someone is talking to a group of disciples, calling them foolish. You got to be at least intrigued to say, who's, who's talking here? And then even more bodaciously, this conversation is about this speaker saying, everything in the entire scripture is about me. Now, some of you know and love this story. Some of you are hearing it for the first time, but obviously, context matters. And the particular context of this part of Luke 24 is the day of Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus is the person that is initiating two conversations. Let me just tell you a little bit about that story and why it's so important for us and where we're going to be going as a church for the next several months. On the day of his resurrection, Jesus is walking. If you would later read the whole of Luke 24, you'll appreciate this larger story. Just as he promised, Jesus was put to death and was raised. And now he comes upon Two individuals, one of them we know by the name Cleopas. We don't know the other person's name. Was it his wife? Was it a friend? We just don't know. We don't have to know, but it is a real person, Cleopas, with someone else that are discouraged. Because even though they got the report, they heard that angels had announced that the tomb was empty. They heard that some of the women actually went to the grave Cleopas and his friend, we're, we're not too sure. And so as the story unfolds, Jesus walks up to them, and the, and the text actually says he kept them from recognizing him. Now that might bug you. Hopefully it actually delights us because what we see is Jesus moving into their sadness, their concern, their confusion, with the goal of actually revealing himself. But in the moment, they don't know who he is. But as that story unfolds, we read, we see him providing a meal for them. In fact, it's not in your part of the text, but you've got to read it later to see the context. Jesus breaks bread. He feeds them. And the scripture says that in that meal, they were given the gift of recognizing it is Jesus. And they were so excited that they moved on. He disappeared from their sight, but they went and found another group of disciples. 
Once again, what we just read, same thing happened. Jesus just shows up. But then he does this very same thing, giving the greatest Bible study in the history of Bible studies. I think you'd agree with me. If you could have one MP3 download or cassette tape, for those that you remember what a cassette tape is, you would want the recording of Jesus basically working from the beginning of the Bible all the way up to his resurrection saying, it's all about me. And you see, really, that's what we're going to be discovering in these next several months. We've got this book called The Story. You've heard reference. Most of you have picked one up. We're going to talk about it at the end before the benediction, but we're going to be reading through big chunks of the Bible to see exactly what I want you to see in the Bible right now. So if you would pull out your outline that you have in your bulletin, or at least listen up as we enter into the Bible study that Jesus gave these two group of disciples. And what's delightful, here's what we're going to see. He's going to show us that there's, a, there's an unfolding orientation to the Bible. I'm holding up my favorite oldest Bible I own. I've had this since 1978. It's an old NIV. And it was written by 40 different authors, 66 different books, just like in your Bible, written over a period of 2,000 years. And what Jesus said on that day of his resurrection, the entire scripture is all about me. It is an unfolding book. It's not a random book. It's not a book of simply platitudes by which you find some way of thinking you can make God love you because you do it right. No, says Jesus. It's all about me. And it runs through these five affirmations. We're going to consider creation and fall, promise. We're going to look at hope, mission, and restoration. So would you follow along with me and let's engage the very words of Jesus in the same fashion that he drew those disciples in. So in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, we see the beginning of the story. Jesus saying to these two groups of disciples, beginning with Moses, he showed them everything concerning himself. Well, historically, we are told that the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were actually penned by Moses or those that he instructed to write down the truth of what's known as the Pentateuch. And I didn't grow up in a tradition that said you can find Jesus in the Old Testament, much less in the first five books of the Bible. But Jesus is appealing to the Scripture. You see, that's going to really free us. In fact, what our hope is for this year is that two things will happen in West End Community Church for us and our friends. That one, we will see the unity of the Bible in its unfolding fashion and that we will see that as Sally Lloyd-Jones said in her great Jesus story Bible book, every story whispers Jesus' name. So when we think about Jesus appealing to Moses, we weren't there, but we can, we can guess that he started with a high view of creation. In fact, next week, Carter will be preaching from Genesis 1, helping us understand as Jesus speaks to us about where was Jesus in creation? How are we to understand Jesus showing up in the story called creation and fall? You see, we have that written into our DNA. 
One of the reasons you're very frustrated in the world in which you and I live is because we're made for Eden. We're made for a paradise. And Jesus must have said something to those disciples on that day, describing for them, here's what you really want. And here's where I was with the Father and the Spirit creating the world. And, and I and we, the one God, did not run away when rebellion took place in Eden. See, that's something we need to understand about the God of the Bible. He is so generous that in full view of the rebellion that the first three chapters of Genesis tell us about, we, we find, in fact, the first promise showing up. Genesis 3.15, God, in response to Adam and Eve's rebellion, makes a promise that begins to become the kingpin promise that runs through the entire Bible. Maybe you remember that promise. God said to his rebellious son and daughter, I'm not giving up on you. In fact, through your union, there will be one born who I, God, will use to crush the head of evil. That's what theologians call the first gospel promise. And Jesus, could you imagine being with Cleopas and his friend and having Jesus say, that's me. Now, you know, you know what? Think about this for a moment. Jesus could have simply said, hey, it's me, guys. But why does he take them to the Bible? Why does he still take us to the Bible? Because you see, that is our covenant story. Everybody in this room lives by narration. It's impossible not to find some ultimate narrative by which you do life. It might be the non-meaning narrative. But what Jesus does is tremendous in saying to them and to us, let's see everything in the scripture. So the first aspect of God's story is creation and fall. In fact, would you go ahead and put that narrative painting on the wall? We're going to kind of kind of decorate this morning a little bit with a painting you walk by every time you come in those side doors. Several years ago, the artist David Armas and I sat in a Green Hills Starbucks. I had four little trees on a napkin. I said, David, I want you to create a painting that would tell the unfolding story of God in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And you see four trees. I had four stick trees. He did a far better job with them, but it traces the story we're looking at, creation, and then fall, and then promise of redemption that focuses on Jesus, and then a final view to restoration, which we'll come to in a minute. And I love the fact that that sky is Carolina blue, something really sweet about that, thinking about the future. But, you know, let's don't get into football conversations today. Stay with the text of the story here. Just keep that, on, keep that before you, and when you walk by that painting, say, okay, I think I get it now. But let's look at the text of Scripture. So beginning with Moses, Jesus tells these disciples, it's about me. But then this promise, the story unfolds. And you see from Genesis 3.15, Jesus goes on to say, not only with Moses, but all the prophets. The entire Old Testament is a growing, cascading wonderment of promises that point towards Jesus. Maybe you never knew what to do with Nahum or Obadiah or 2 Chronicles. So if you just walk into the movie, 30 minutes into the movie, what would be one word that might represent walking into a movie 30 minutes after it started? What's, what word comes to mind? Say it. Confusion. Good, right? 
If you just show up in the Bible anywhere and don't understand the context, you'd be confused. But the entire Old Testament story and gathering of prophets are all saying God made a promise to be a great and gracious redeemer. In fact, two weeks from today, Carter will be preaching about Abram who became Abraham. And that's where the promise of redemption begins to get real big because God says to Abram, a pagan moon worshiper, I'm going to make of you a nation and this nation, Israel, will become the national womb for the Messiah whose work will benefit all nations. Abram, how big? Abraham, how big? Count stars, sand, and dust. This is how generous I will be in the world. All of history is framed by my promise to be a great redeemer and a great restorer. See, I didn't get that growing up. You know what? As an as a 18-year-old, when I first came to Jesus as a senior in high school, I thought the Bible was basically a book of trial and error. God tried something. It didn't work. So we went to plan B, plan C, plan F. Nothing could be farther than the truth. And Jesus is showing these disciples, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. We're going to walk through that together to see how these promises get bigger and better. It takes us to the third of our five affirmations that Jesus mentioned even in those two Bible studies that day of resurrection. Look at number three on your outline. We move from creation and fall and the beginning of the story to promise, the story unfolds now, to hope, the story of Jesus. Look at Luke 24, 26. Jesus says to these precious, bewildered men, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Right in the middle of these five affirmations is Jesus. And why do you use the word hope? Because in the Bible, hope is not a sentiment. It's not a hunch. In the Bible, hope is God's concrete commitment to be faithful to everything he's promised. And the apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that no matter how many promises God has made, they all find their yes in Jesus. If you and I don't see that or understand that, how can we possibly understand what the Bible's all about? No wonder a lot of us have been so confused about the Bible forever. You throw it open. Did any of you grow up under that theme of lucky dipping? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, okay, take your Bible. Okay, throw it up and God, give me a verse. Okay, God, give me another verse. Heard one person did that one time and threw the Bible open. And it was said, Judas hung himself. They said, well, that didn't work for me. Then he said, boom, go thou and do likewise. Well, you know, so much for lucky dipping. It's one big unfolding story, and Jesus is saying, it is all about me. You can't understand any part of the Bible apart from asking, where does this make Jesus necessary? Where does this reveal Jesus? Where is the scripture in the unfolding commitment of the God who's chosen to be generous and to frame all of history as a revelation of hope? We're going to study that together. You see, there are many characters in the Bible, but only one hero. I pray we get to see that this year. I love how Peter the apostle put it when he wrote in 1 Peter. He said, the prophets of old knew they had the spirit of Christ inside of them, but they searched intently with great joy for the fulfillment of these things. Peter says, 
These things have happened to you. We are those who receive this hope. But you see, hope anticipates the future as well. That takes us to the fourth of five affirmations in this introduction today. Notice where Jesus goes next in these conversations with these two groups of disciples. Look at chapter 24 of Luke, verse 47. And here's where the, here's where the word mission begins to come into view in response to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The story of love. Jesus says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, meaning the Messiah, meaning himself, to all the nations. See, that is not so much a commission we better do because God's pulling for us because his hands are tied. It's God saying to you and me, all of history is not bound up with the next election or the next crazy person in some part of the world pushing a button. All of history is bound up with my commitment to have a bride for Jesus from every single race, tribe, tongue, and people group. I did not get that in the late 60s. I thought, Darlene and I thought when we got married, it's going to be all over by 1975. We got married in 1972, so we had three years for kissing and evangelism. <laughs> Jesus hasn't come back yet, but you know what? He is coming back, but history right now is not random. It's not our responding to simply trial and error. We are on mission. See, mission is not something we add on to simply trying to live a fulfilling life. In fact, that'll be a part of the theme that we'll look at together this year. What does it mean for us individually and collectively to live in God's story, to stop giving God bit parts in our story and actually to find our place collectively on mission, which means we love our neighbors. We're not panicking. We're not afraid because he who is in heaven is enthroned saying, I've installed my son in Zion. And you see, we're going to study that together. How do, how do we live in response to this preaching of repentance and forgiveness? And by the way, what does that mean? Maybe those are odd words. Jesus says, all of history will be about extending the good news of repentance and forgiveness. Why is repentance good news? Repentance in the Bible is not you feeling so lousy about you. You make promises to God to do more, try harder. Repentance is you're saying, God, you better save me because I cannot save myself. I am coming to the end of myself. I realize I have a need you alone can meet. And that's why repentance and forgiveness always go together because they center on Jesus. It takes us finally, lastly, as we get ready to come to the Lord's Supper, to the fifth of these bold affirmations, really, and the fourth panel in the David's Arms painting, David's Arms painting, Creation, Fall, Redemption, Restoration, you'll notice that the trees get higher on the horizon and that the fourth tree, which anticipates what happens when Jesus comes back to finish making all things new, restoration is going to be far more glorious than creation. We're not going back to Eden. Eden was a preview of coming attractions. And you see, to read the Bible with Jesus as the center gives us a real sense of engaging our culture because when he returns, he will usher in the new heaven and new earth. Restoration, the story continues. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to have a good time studying that because some of us think so wrongly about heaven. Some of us are still thinking that heaven is simply getting out of this mess and into some context where we're going to sing hymns all the time. Now, some of you would say, promise me it's more than that. 
I'm not promising you anything. Jesus is saying, I am making all things new. Not I'm making all new things. As surely as our body will be resurrected, Jesus is coming back to utterly transform the world we live in. And continuity and connection is our story. I am so stoked we get to study this story together this year. And forgive my fidgeting with my ear. I am so stoked we get to say, Jesus, show us yourself everywhere in the Bible. Well, on that day of his resurrection, in fact, I'll invite now those serving at table for the communion. Would you come on and get at your tables? Those of you who will be greeting your brothers and sisters, come. And those of you that will be inviting our friends forward, come stand now. Because I want to tell you, as we segue into the Lord's Supper, what is so cool about Luke 24. So with Cleopas and his friend, I've referenced this, but the perfect time now to mention where we are in the Lord's Supper this morning. Jesus had a meal with them. And they said this, were not our hearts warmed when he spoke to us on the way and when he broke bread? Jesus broke bread as a resurrected Savior and revealed himself to those that had not seen him clearly to that point. This is what the Lord's Supper is today for us. Because as surely as Jesus reveals himself in the breaking of the bread on the day of his resurrection, so this morning he's saying to everybody in this room, whatever you think about the Bible, how much yours is marked up or how much you don't even have a Bible, come to me because it's all about me and all of me is for you. You see, on the night of his actual betrayal, the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, to the disciples in the upper room, this is my body broken for you. See, Jesus knew he was going to a cross. That's not an accident. Just as we read, all the scriptures prophesied that day. He said, my body's broken for you, which it was on the cross. But then he took the cup and he gave them the cup and he quoted both from Ezekiel and from Jeremiah these words, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. New covenant is that third panel in the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the once and for all sacrifice that reconciles us to God and sets in motion in your life, in my life, and in this world, the restoration for which we long. If you are someone this morning that can basically, honestly, sincerely say this, I do trust that Jesus is my righteousness. I have acknowledged my need of him. I know I could never, ever, ever earn a relationship with God. And I believe that Jesus is my Savior. Then this meal is for you. If you're not sure you've got that peace about that story yet, then we are, first of all, we're glad you're here, but we ask you not to take the element. This is, a, this is an element for those that have come to that place of gladsome humility and reception of grace. Now, if this is the day that you would believe on Jesus, then by all means, come and let us Believe the gospel together. But whoever you are, even if you don't want to commune this morning, you can come up to these tables. We're going to stand up here and, and we're going to feast, remember the story together. And, and just when people reach in to take the element, if you're not communing today, just be present and listen because we want you to taste the smell of grace today. We're so thankful you're here. Let me pray for us now, even as we begin the study together. Uh, wanting to see the whole Bible is all about Jesus and wanting to see all of Jesus for us. Let me pray.